Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. We're advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, and research. Welcome to the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons podcast series. Tonight, we will be discussing sleep disturbance after total joint replacement. I'm being joined by Dr. Stuart Fisher, who practices at Summit Orthopedics in Summit, New Jersey, and also by Dr. Trevor North at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Michigan. In episode two, we will be discussing the effects of medications on sleep disturbance, the use of sleep aids, describe what sleep hygiene is, talk about alcohol use after joint replacement, discuss leg swelling at night, and sleep apnea. What other things, Dr. Fisher, in terms of medications, do you worry about with patients and sleep disturbance? Are there certain things you look for to see if they could be a problem for the patient? Yes, and it certainly depends on what medications you're taking and potentially how you mix medication. So chances are you don't want to mix for example, pain medication and sleep medication. You'll be sedated, and if you do wake up, you will be dizzy and possibly disoriented. I encourage patients to use anti-inflammatories and non-prescription drugs such as Tylenol. Sometimes, again, a non-prescription sleep aid such as Benadryl will help to make people drowsy, and that way they can get just enough sleep. One other last point on medications is that some people actually will have a negative response to narcotics, so it actually will keep you awake and act as a stimulant. We'll see that at times. And then we also think there's likely an anesthesia component to sleep disturbance, um, where that anesthesia event can cause some disruption to your natural sleep patterns. Stuart had mentioned uh, the use of medications, and uh, Trevor, I wanted to go into that a little bit more. When you have a patient that has sleep disturbance and is interested in trying uh, something to help them sleep, what medications or, or what remedies do you typically start with with those patients? Yeah, I think it's, it's important to try and identify where in people's sleep patterns is being the most affected. So different sleep aids act at different points in people's sleep pattern. So people who are having a difficult time with maybe some discomfort early on and some pain and having a difficult time getting off to sleep, some of the simpler medications like antihistamine, so like a Benadryl, chamomile tea, a melatonin, all of these medications really do aid in people getting off uh, to sleep. Whereas other people, uh, oftentimes when they're a little bit further along in their recovery period, have a more difficult time sort of staying asleep as the night goes on. So you are going to use medications to try and supplement sleep using some of the uh, hypnotic class of medications, some common ones that most people have heard of are Ambien or Lunesta. And they don't only help get people get off to sleep, but actually help people stay asleep for longer and feel more refreshed during the day. Like Stuart had mentioned, I really do try and stay away from medications which can compound problems such as confusion, dizziness, uh, disorientation overnight, which can include things like benzodiazepines, a common one would be Valium, or sometimes opiates as well if people have a, a negative reaction to those and cause more of a sleep disturbance than uh, a sleep aid. 
Well, one thing that both of you have mentioned so far has been the concept of sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene, I think, can be very important and very helpful. And a lot of the times can help the patient avoid the use of medications to get to sleep. Stuart, I was going to see if you wouldn't mind telling our viewers about the basics of sleep hygiene. Well, sleep hygiene means getting a good regular sleep pattern. It's a little bit hard in the first few days after surgery, much as we've discussed. But after you develop more of a routine after your surgery, you'll be able to sleep better. So it's important for patients to prepare themselves, have a routine, have a good time, have a fixed time when they're going to sleep, and plan for the day. Trevor, any other components to sleep hygiene that you typically recommend to patients that are struggling with getting to sleep or staying asleep? Yeah, I find that uh, very frequently talking to patients ahead of time about sleep hygiene. We have a, a handout and a component in our patient education classes that goes over this. We term it the power hour, and it's to try and start your routine of getting ready for bed and a restful sleep 45 minutes to an hour before you plan to be up in your bedroom. So that means unwinding, doing simple things like reading a book, making sure you're turning off electronics, not answering emails and text messages like we all do too late at night, taking some pain medication, so Tylenol or anti-inflammatory medications about 45 minutes or an hour beforehand. I usually tell patients to use an ice routine, so making sure that they're icing their joint replacement pretty close to the time that they'd be going to bed. Other things that I think can keep people up or actually wake people up overnight is their stimulant use during the day. So things like caffeine or nicotine, chocolate, these are all additive effects that occur during the day. So even if you don't use that within the hour before sleep, caffeine that you used earlier on during the day can still affect your sleep pattern overnight. Also limiting liquids immediately before bed reduces the likelihood that you're going to need to get up and use the bathroom overnight or at least reduce how many times that uh, is the case. And then other counterproductive substances like alcohol, I think, is an important thing to talk to patients about uh, prior to joint replacement and making sure that they're not using this really at all, even in the early part of recovery, because it does have a directly negative impact on your sleep patterns and your ability to stay asleep and have a restful sleep overnight. And I think that those are the main things that I really talk to people in that about that power hour prior to sleep, just to get people ready. I just have one thought, and that's to emphasize the dangers of alcohol in the post-operative period. Alcohol will have a very negative effect if you mix it with any kind of pain medication, and will also have an effect on your balance while you're doing your rehabilitation. Particularly at night, if you're dizzy or your balance isn't good, you could have a real problem. So I think it's important to emphasize that you should really stay away from alcohol in the post-operative period. I think that's a great point from both of you. And in my own practice, I've actually seen several fairly bad injuries from patients having falls when intoxicated after a joint replacement. It's a very, very difficult situation to deal with. And I think taking into account other things that you're putting in your body, such as uh, nicotine and caffeine, can also really affect your recovery as well. Those are all great points. For further information on sleep hygiene, you can go to the National Institutes of Health or the NIH 
and search for sleep hygiene. They have a flyer that you can uh, review on a lot of great things involving sleep hygiene. We also cover this topic on our American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons patient education site in our sleep disturbance article. The next question that we frequently will see at night um, from patients is that they see increased swelling in their legs. Stuart, what do you tell patients when they come into clinic and they say, my legs are really swelling at night, what should I do? Well, if they're swelling, you should elevate them. The key thing is to find out what it's like the next morning. If it's normal for patients to have swelling after a total hip or a total knee going down your leg, and I try to reassure patients that if they elevate it, it should be better the next day. The thing they need to be aware of is that if the swelling isn't down the next morning, you have to worry about a potential complication such as a blood clot in that leg. So if the swelling doesn't go down, I urge them to contact me and we arrange for a test such as a Doppler or ultrasound to make sure that there isn't a blood clot. Swelling can be problematic. If you're trying to do your rehabilitation and you have difficulty putting on your sock or your shoe on that side, it makes it difficult. Nonetheless, I try to reassure people that the swelling will eventually go down. Trevor, when you have patients with swelling, do you ever recommend any use of compression stockings or any other types of devices or modalities to help with that swelling? People who have an issue with swelling preoperatively, I will often utilize some type of compression device or whether or not that is a, a pneumatic compression device where it sort of helps milk the fluid back to uh, the heart or a static compression device, like you mentioned, Ben, a stocking. I think one thing that uh, is important to, to touch on, just following up after Stuart's thoughts, is related to you know, people who have some underlying conditions with their renal system or their kidneys or their heart that predisposes them to swelling after surgery and making sure that you know, those patients are seeing their primary care provider at a fairly early interval after surgery if their swelling is in both legs and it's persistent despite uh, significant or aggressive elevation or utilizing some of those compression devices that we just mentioned. I think those are all great points from both of you. One thing for patients to understand is when we talk about elevation, uh, when you go to bed, if you have your feet at, above the level of your heart, that is the goal because we want to let gravity pull that fluid back out of your legs while you sleep. So the goal of elevation is to have the effective extremity above the level of your heart. The next topic that I'd like to discuss is sleep apnea. Stuart, I was going to see if you wouldn't mind just defining sleep apnea for us and why is this important for us in joint replacement? Well, sleep apnea literally means that you don't breathe while you're asleep, and it can come from several different causes. Most commonly, it's some form of airway obstruction so that uh, you're not getting enough air or the muscles around your throat don't work properly. You can also have a more central thing. Your whole neurologic system works to depress your sleep response. What it means is that you're not breathing properly when you sleep and you're not getting enough oxygen. It can be a problem for some people. We typically see it in people who are heavy, have some other medical 
conditions, people who have big wide necks and other problems such as that. It's a real problem in the period right after anesthesia because you wanna make sure somebody is fully recovered and maintaining an airway so they can breathe. Trevor, when you have a patient who comes into your clinic with sleep apnea prior to surgery, what do you discuss with them and what other things do you do around the time of surgery along with what Stuart has mentioned? That's a great question. So people who do have known sleep apnea or suspected sleep apnea that I see preoperatively, I make sure that number one, all of those patients get a, a thorough anesthetic evaluation preoperatively to ensure that we can perform the surgery safely. Uh, I also investigate in the, the clinical setting whether or not they use any devices to help minimize the effects of sleep apnea. So a common device is a CPAP machine and making sure that they are using that regularly. And then we've touched on a couple of different times about the use of sleep aids and narcotics around joint replacement surgery. And I think having a very frank conversation with these patients who, like Stuart pointed out, have often a muscular abnormality in the upper airway, which predisposes them to deoxygenation overnight, that the use of narcotics, benzodiazepines, and some other sleep aids and alcohol, as we've talked about as well, can directly worsen their obstructive or central sleep apnea uh, overnight. So using those aids in caution is very important to discuss with those people ahead of time and making sure that they know that there are other modalities that we can use to maintain the recovery in a safe way are available to them. We would recommend if you have sleep apnea that you have that conversation with your joint replacement surgeon and each facility will handle that situation differently. We will typically have you bring your CPAP machine with you into the hospital. We will use that immediately after the surgery in the recovery area. Some hospitals will have a machine available for you we know that patients that have sleep apnea, they're not appropriately treated or at increased risk of having problems around the time of surgery. But if we know you have sleep apnea and we're able to address that appropriately, we find that we can lessen your risk quite a bit and make the surgery a much safer process for you. Well, I wanna thank you both for taking the time to join me and discuss sleep disturbance for our patients. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, great speaking with you both. Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit aahks.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, and investigate in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.